JJ Cooper, Kyle Glazer joining you on a Facebook Live, and today we have props. We have props because we want to thank you for tuning in to today's Baseball America Facebook Live. Our podcast and Facebook Live broadcast this week are sponsored by S. Preston Designs. S. Preston is world famous for his minimalist designs of baseball mascots, college and major league stadiums. S. Preston Designs have been featured at the Hall of Fame and at ballparks around the country. This week we're giving away an S. Preston Designs MLB Stadium poster. To enter to win, all you have to do is head over to BaseballAmerica.com slash Stadium Contest to win your favorite stadium design. It's that easy. Again, enter to win at BaseballAmerica.com slash Stadium Contest. So Kyle, but I'm putting you on the spot. So this is the overall view one. Now, if you win, you get to pick. If you're a Red Sox fan, you pick the Sitco sign. If you're a, uh, you know, if you're a Braves fan, you pick 715. I'm asking you. If you had one to pick out of this, it doesn't have to be the stadium, it's your favorite stadium, the poster that you prefer. I think that Tiger looks pretty sweet, to be honest. I think that's kind of cool. I also like the Liberty Bell, uh, Philadelphia, and anytime you can get the Golden Gate Bridge on there, it looks pretty good. I kind of like also the uh, Western Metal Supply for San Diego, uh, but nice you know, I mean, the Comiskey, uh, the Comiskey uh, Spinner also. So you mean a gu guaranteed rate spinner? Guaranteed rate <laughs> spinner field, I guess, you know, whatever you want to call it. But, uh, but so that is what you can win this week. And hopefully I can get this to stay up here without having it top a little. Having it top a little. Let me try that. There Looks we go. Like the Dodger Stadium Pavilion is kind of nice too. A little bit of a classic, uh, classic look Definitely there. a classic look there. But, uh, but we are here on Facebook Live and we have an easy topic to start <laughs> with. We want to take your questions. Send them in on, you know, on here on the Facebook Live and we'll answer them. Talking prospects. We've already got... The entire National League top 10 prospects list, we're into the AL East now. But obviously we got news to start this with, which uh, Kyle, Kevin Maiton, no longer brave, we knew that. Mm -hmm. But today we know that he's now a Los Angeles Angel. You know, and this is an interesting signing on a few fronts. The first is, I remember at the GM meetings last winter, speaking with Billy Epler a little bit about how as soon as they were out from under the Roberto Baldacchine penalties, the Angels were going to get very, very aggressive back oh, in Latin Oh, and let's America. just remember... That was a bad That was a bad one, the process from the get-go. But if you go back to the Angels' glory days, if you will, when they ran off five straight division titles, it was because they had a fantastic Latin American program that really supplemented uh, their domestic uh, scouting really, really well. Francisco Rodriguez, Benji Molina, all the way up through Eric Ibar, Urban Santana. And I think Billy Epler and the Angels, uh, recognized that when he took over the Angels. And they made it a priority, and this is a little bit of a step to that. We saw them spend some money this past year, their first year out from under the, uh, the penalties. And now Kevin Maiton, considering they only had 1.31 million available to them this signing period, I think it's going to mean basically acquired from the Braves, ironically. Enough. Right. Uh, it's going to. I think it's going to have to go yeah. out of next year's. We, bonus yeah, we don't have the reporting the on that yet, but it does seem more likely. Again, we're just making a supposition. Our so, supposition is is they can they can go either from this year or next year's money. Makes more sense they go for next year's money. And look, Kevin Maiton struggled this year. There's no two ways about it. I think a lot of evaluators thought he'd be one thing, and he showed them something less than what they're expecting. But he's still 17 years old, still only a year removed from all the promise. Uh, he's going to get another shot to go back out. There's no reason to rush him, uh, whether that means he goes back and does the two-level rookie ball thing again. You know, he was GCL in the Appy League last year. With the Angels, that could be the AZL and the Pioneer League this year. We'll see. I think he's still a talented young individual with obviously a considerable promise. And, you know, Justin Perline, who put together our Appalachian League uh, top prospects, noted in his report that he looked a little bit better later on. And look, this is still a 17-year-old kid. I remember I went out to Danville. He had never played a game under the lights, ever. I mean, just but right. things like that. This is a he very is 
so early in his career. And it's funny, like, to me, I did the Braves list. He was on that. Now he's going to be on the Angels list. He's going to double dip. Um, but the thing that stands out with it is, is that you get a wide, wide range of opinions with Maiton. And I mean that, like, if you are talking to a pro scout who only saw him, you know, for a five or, say, ten game look in the Appalachian League, or only saw him for a couple of games in the Appalachian League, and then maybe saw him in Instructs as well, the reports generally from those, you know, those scouts were not all that encouraging. But they're basing it off what they saw in that, that look. short time window. If you talk about the scouts who saw Kevin Maiton, now this is admittedly three years ago in many cases, but as a 14, 15 year old, they thought of him, he was seen as, to me, you know, one of the best hitting prospects to come out of Venezuela, come out of Latin America. I, th I think even more relevant than that is the managers who were seeing mm -hmm. him start to finish in the Appalachian League this year noted that they saw him get better. There's that initial adjustment period and you saw the Kevin Maiton at the end you started to see, okay, we see why this guy had some hype and why he's still ranked number one overall prospect in the Appalachian League, projecting him down the road. To me, that is more relevant to the time right now because I think there's a, no, a I, long history of kids who are 14, 15-year-old studs who were done by the time they're 19, both it, domestically it, and internationally. But that is that is playing a part in where Kevin Maiton no getting $2.2 Right. And part of no what question. that is coming back to is, is that you had really good reports on him as an amateur because that's not... That's basically, to, to put it in a Braves perspective, the Braves traded for Alex Jackson last year around this time. And when they did so, they really did so because he was one of the top prospects in the draft a couple of years before that. No question. Even though if you completely based it off of the looks that you had as a right fielder in the Midwest League, you'd be like, I don't know if I'm in on this guy. And so that's... So that's what I say. That it's, it it's, it's a combination of things. There's no question. You take the amateur. You take some of the, uh, what he showed at the end of the Appalachian League. The other thing that's just the Angels system is we've talked for a while. It was a real bottom-of-the-barrel system. We started to see it come up, but it was mostly outfielders. Jordan Adele, Jemiah Jones, Brandon Marsh, and a couple of arms, Jaime Berea, Chris mm -hmm. Rodriguez, uh, Griffin Canning, who they drafted. But there was still very, very little, borderline nothing of interest anywhere on the infield. And for an organization that really has not had a stable third baseman since Sean Figgins and has not had a successful second baseman. It's been a long time. Howie Kendrick. Howie Kendrick since they let him go. And they're constantly going through these one-year options. This ad, for, for the Angels organizationally, this gives them, okay, an infield prospect we feel like we can groom, develop, and even with all the, you know, the lukewarm scouting reports, there's still an expectation. There's an upside here that's considerable, which they literally oh. had nobody at you could really project second base shortstop infield anywhere near the ceiling Kevin Maiton brings. And the other thing about this is, is for all the somewhat discouraging reports this year from scouts, do you, I mean he's he was 17, he was advanced an advanced level for a 17 year old coming and over to an entire he had hamstring issues. But the other thing is is that okay, now we'll see how he responds to that. In that it would not shock me in any way. If Kevin Maiton, now he heads to Arizona, but heads to Arizona in spring training, and the Kevin Maiton you see in 2018 is better because he went through this. He now realizes, I was over my head last year. I've got to step it up. And if he does, if he responds to it that way, again, the, the, the hand-eye, the hit tool, all those things, the power potential, you know, they're all there. It could be a... It, it, and even on the infield, you saw the hands. The hands were still there, but one of the big things with him was he signed at 170, 175 pounds. 
last year at Danville, he was 211, and you could see, you know, the thickness, the pudge, and not that that's, you know, never going to come off, but that was but an it, issue. But it's a to-do list then, item for 2018. And then now. there have been some videos circulating recently showing what looks like a thin down, a little slimmer. I mean, that's going to be one of the things he has to do. 195, 200, oh, it's just yeah. a better weight, firm it up a little bit, and that's going to come. So I, I think overall, the Angels. They've, you know, added another potential talented player to their system. It's particularly important because he's an infielder, which they desperately needed. And again, I think you have to be encouraging about the long-term trend now of, hey, we're getting back to investing in interna internationally, but also doing so in such a way that is productive without, oh, we're going to give $8 million to a guy that no one else likes. This is, okay, we're going to, you know, there's there seems to be a plan. There's yeah. a formula. There's depth of scouting. And, you know, He's 17. Maybe it'll come back. Maybe it doesn't work. But I think the Angels at least it's, have it's, made a it's move. It's a well worth risk. It's a, and the other nice thing for Kevin Maiton is he has to keep his 4.5 million he signed with the Braves for. It's going to have 2.2 million in this bonus. Uh, as Josh Norris uh, pointed out, he's going to have more money than uh, Aaron Judge, Jose Ramirez, all these guys who were AL MVPs last well, year. I mean, go. You, over six million. There are very few players who ever receive over six million in the amateur acquisition standpoint from the draft international it's very hard to do and he's doubled even guys who end up playing you know six minor league seasons and get tastes of yeah. three different years in the big leagues a lot of times don't approach that in their career earnings so we've got a lot of questions uh, one thing i did want to, before we end the my ton discussion i want to point out is like we you, you already mentioned it but the angels were 30th in our word count rankings in 2014 they were 30th in 2016 they were 30th in 2017. I think there was a 29th. In then they summer. flipped. No, okay. no, they were in the handbook. Then they okay. went to 29th because then the Marlins uh, traded away more. Gotcha. Um, but there is no doubt, I can promise you, Angel fans, barring them trading everyone away that they have right now in the next couple of weeks, they're not going to be 30th in next year. They've, they've moved up. It is definitely the best the farm system has been in at least half a decade, if not more. I mean, obviously, you get back not much more before that, and then you get into the Trout era, and okay, we're not anywhere near that, but uh, but yeah, it's it's a much improved. But I do want to get to. We got a lot of these uh, questions here. Want to get some of these? If you have questions, just put them in the comments, and we're going to roll through some of these. So Ron Lieb asks, I'm doing a prospect draft today, which is okay. Tip of the cap, Ron. That is hardcore. If you're doing a uh, prospect draft in early December, uh, hardcore. Um, but Ron says, you know. I have pick seven. Could Otani fall to me, or for, would Fernando Tatis be the better pick? If you're in a prospect draft and Otani falls to you at seven, I'd be very, very surprised. And by the way, I'd be I would surprised be, if Tatis falls to you at seven. Right. Now, if they're both on the board at seven, which I want to see how this draft board lined up if they are, but if they're both on the board at seven, assuming, again, I don't know if you're talking Sim League, I don't know if you're talking Roto, whatever, I'm taking Otani first, but. Tatis is an excellent fallback plan, too. Absolutely. Look, Ta Tatis is fantastic. He's also, for all the excitement and the potential, which is considerable, he's got 20 games outside of low A. Otani's yeah. the guy that's going to come, be ready to pitch in the big leagues. I'm, I'm actually working on something for all uh, you fans to look forward to, a teaser, talking to some ex-big leaguers in Japan who have played against him and know what it's like. And Look, it's real. It's Obviously, I think he's attained almost a mythical, you know, it's a little out of hand, the myth, the, the mythical creature status almost that's been put on him. But he's an ex, an excellent you, player, you a, a potential frontline starter. I think that's the guy you take, especially one who 
you know will be pitching in the major leagues this year. And the funny thing is, is I do think he's you know like grown into this this legend almost. But the reason for that is is that there's no other player like this because what you're talking about is when he, when a team when you're a fan of a team and they sign a free agent, it's something where there's a cost and benefit. You're like, hey, we're excited we signed player X. But the downside is, like, if you're the Giants, if you're a Giants fan, and let's say the Giants do trade for Gene, Giancarlo Stanton, and you only, and let's say that they don't give up that much to do so. Like, the prospects they give up, you're like, this is a slam dunk. We're all excited about it. But even then, there's still this back of your mind thing, which is like, this is great. We needed power. We got it in Stanton. But we also are now, the team that I root for is tied into this guy. You're for, on the hook for potentially $300 million. Right. And sometimes those deals. Backloaded. Right. Sometimes those deals. Otani's case, this is, this is getting a chance to eat your cake and like with no calories involved and like, no, I'm going to go, I'm going to go through three dozen Krispy Kremes. And the great thing about it is, is that they're, they're zero cal. You know, it's one of those things where if your team acquires Otani, they have in essence gave up nothing to get him, and so, you got a so, front of the you got a front of the rotation starter potentially, at basically the cost of a draft pick. No question, and that's where for me Otani, it, obviously the player's special, but the circumstances under Are, which he's signing has made it even more so. But I think if you're focusing just on the player himself, incredibly talented player, roundabout way, I do think that's the way to go. Just because hey, he's here, he's ready. Clint Scholes asks, uh, longtime Royals uh, uh, fan, prospect watcher, uh, where will Del Rosario rank on your Royals list? And as someone who wrote up the Braves and has yeah, done and, the Royals system for, for many a long, years. long time, pretty well. Um, you know, he's one of the. He was one of the absolutely dudes in this. Uh, you know, we we ranked the top prospects out there who were. Uh, who the ex-Braves, and, and Del Rosario did pretty well on that because, I mean, you are talking about all kinds of upside, all kinds of upside, long, long, long way away. But I love that acquisition for the Royals from the standpoint of, I mean, the Royals farm system needs some help. That is a guy who's going to help. I, at this moment, I'm not going to, you know, don't peg me to a number for us. We haven't sat down and done, do that, done that yet, so I don't want us to say he's going to be eighth, and then you get the book and you go, or get our top 10 in the magazine, and you go, he's not eight. But I would say that he is in top 10 consideration. I'll put it that way. Here's that the question. I mean, he's a young mm -hmm. right-handed pitching prospect. I feel like the few guys the Royals do have, Nick Prado, Nicky Lopez, those are position guys. Is he the top, I mean, the top pitching prospect? Probably not. Um, and I, I say this, I know that I am higher on Josh Dalmont at this point than almost anyone. <laughs> and I say that because... I mean, I do think that Josh Damont has, you know, obviously control issues, but at the same time, I would say you are talking in Stamont's case about a guy who has control issues but has had success at A, at a ball, some success at double A, and it's just fallen apart as far as, you know, the last steps. And if you move Stamont right now to the pen, I can't say that he wouldn't be able to handle that. The control gets a little better in shorter stints, and then he's this 100-mile-an-hour fireball out of the pen. Del Rosario may end up being that same guy. You know, we don't know. I mean, there's the paths for him are, are much broader, like where he could, this is, he doesn't end up anything, this ends up, he ends up being an ace. You know, it's a much broader path still because he's so much earlier in his career, but he doesn't have better pure stuff than Josh Stalmont. And Josh Stalmont, for all his, you know, issues he had, is 
is not that far away. I mean, Although, in fairness, he probably shouldn't have Josh Stallmont stuff considering he's 17. Stallmont's uh, a college uh, guy in his 20s. A absolutely true. Absolutely true. Uh, just kind of keep rolling along. Uh, Benjamin Chase, good question. Maiton got 2.2 million. How many of the Braves guys get seven figures in their second deal? Well, we I saw Del Rosario get 650k, and I feel like there was a sense that he might have been the second best of that group. I think I think Soto, uh, the shortstop, is going to get. I think I wouldn't be surprised to see him get seven figures. I think you are talking about a shortstop who's an absolutely legit shortstop. There are disagreements as far as or differences of opinion, better than disagreement. Differences of opinion on how much offense potentially has, but shortstop with a lot of the the tools. Um, you know, I think. I wouldn't be shocked to see another one or two of these guys get seven figures because also the other thing about it becomes, as Ben Badler has told us a thousand times, the signing bonus itself is not always indicative of the value of the player. And it really comes down to, you don't, it doesn't have to be that there's a consensus of 30 teams saying this guy's number one, this guy's number two, this guy's number three on the list. All you have to have is two teams with money who both want one guy, right. and that guy could end up making more, then you may have another guy that 15 teams like, but only two teams, you know, one team has the money to sign them at that rate, and so, you know, it goes like that. So, uh, rolling along, uh, uh, I want to mix around the questions. Uh, oh, we also have, uh, we're doing this, and Josh Kahn says that LeVon Soto is going to the Angels too, and I will say this, if they got... I'm not reporting that yet, obviously, uh, my because... My phone just buzzed. Let me so, see. So, but if... Um, I got a text indicating that that might be true as well. So, with, if so, with, though... With, with a non-seven-figure dollar okay. figure. Um, but... So... Let me confirm this. If Soto and Maiton both, then... Um, I, <laughs> I'm, I'm that, that's going to move up I'm, the I'm angel. Confirming, I'm tr confirming this right now. So if that does happen, watching reporting as it happens, but if that has already happened, again, I'm a Soto fan. I absolutely believe that he is a legit shortstop. Um, you can talk to scouts who really like him who think that there's, some, there's plenty of offensive potential there. There could be some developing power down the road, but... I, it, the thing that just stands out is is that again, that is a big time acquisition if if true, for the. Uh, so we are starting to see it come out. Uh, give credit to uh, TaylorWardScout.com. Uh, reported Levon Soto to the Angels for 850k. Uh, Jesse Sanchez, MLB.com looks like he has reported it as well. So uh, we'll see if it. We'll see if it. Uh, we'll, we'll see if it happens. But uh, um, but you know but. Again, Soto, to me, is definitely got to watch. There are a number of these guys among this Braves list that are absolutely ex-Braves list, I should say, that are guys to watch. So speak, speaking of the Angels going into the international market, and I feel like they've taken a nice advantage here of we can use our current pool or 2018-19. I'm thinking a lot of this is 20. I mean, again, you know, I'm thinking this is going to be 2018-19. Again, now, you want to go crazy on the Angels. They're not out yet. I don't, you know, they're not the favorite. But they're one of the few teams left that actually have a shot of getting Shohei Otani. If you, if, if you talked about this system with Joe Adele, who is the highest upside prospect that the Angels have had in that system you know, in, in several years, throw in a Jemai Jones, 
Now you add a Maiton, now you add a Soto, and then if you said on top of that, here's Shoei Otani, whew, that would be, uh, that would be a vastly improving farm system uh, very quickly. So gonna go to some of the other questions. Um, yeah, let's see. Let's see if this if this comes to fruition. Seems like there's a little bit of. It, it may not be. We're talking. We're speculating right now. We are not right reporting. Now, right now, it's it's media reports. Although it seems like those might be waddling as well. We nothing official yet. Okay. And then uh, so we also have uh, asking uh, the Diamondbacks have a kid named Paven Smith. Where do you rank him? And do you think he'll be back in Hillsboro this year? If Paven Smith is back in Hillsboro next year. Bad things have happened for Pavin Smith. You are talking about one of the better pure hitters in the college draft uh, class last year. Um, the expectation is he'll at least start in low A, but there's also an expectation he might end, actually start in Visalia. Right. I, I'd say low A is the conservative, high A is the more aggressive. And again, college bats like that, you would expect, again, he's a hit first guy. I mean, he's got some, some, some athleticism, but hit first guy. You expect him to move quickly, you know. He will not be back in short season. If he's back no. in short season for anything other than, because he really don't end up in Hillsboro on an injury rehab assignment either. No. So yeah. I, his days in Hillsboro are, uh, are are behind him. Um, this one's right up your alley uh, here, uh, Kyle. Who's the better pros Padres prospect, Fernando Tatis or Luis Urias? And I say this, I ask him this because Tatis. I mean, because Kyle is a giant Luis Urias. He's long time been a big believer in Luis Urias, but Tatis. Yeah, Absolutely. I mean, look, Ta Tatis is someone who can do a little bit more for you. You see the power. Um, obviously, Urias is one of the, the top hitting prospects in all of baseball. But if you say, all right, do I want the guy who ceiling is 310, 10 bombs with a 420 on base versus the guy who's ceiling who's is... Who's a second baseman second who can slide to short if you need right, it. Right, versus the guy who's, you know, 280, 285, 30 bombs with, you know probably a 380 on base as well because Tatis does draw his walks. I think you're going to take that disparate, uh, that power, even if the, the average is a tad lower. Oh, absolutely. Short, third. I, both these guys are guys that Padres fans should be looking forward to in their infield for years to come. But the overwhelming consensus is, yeah, Tatis goes above Urias. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, that is. But again, the Padres system we love the Padres farm system. I, I know I love the Padres farm system. It's a tremendous amount of talent. Like you look at it and it's, you have the top end guys, you know, like Fernando Tatis, like Mackenzie Gore. You have, uh, I, I would say probably the largest, they should, they spent so much money last year. But then 80 million combined when you take the penalty, uh, the penalty overages into but account. But the amount of money they spent internationally last year, you, you really do have to say, they, that is a farm system that should be better a year from now than it is now because some of those guys are going to flame out. There's no doubt about it. But so many, like Gabriel Arias should be a better prospect a year from now than he is now well, because he's going to get a chance the to... Guys like Jason Rosario, even some of the guys who are drafting, Luis Camposano, who, you know, promising catcher, you know, Draft year, a couple games of rookie ball goes out. Mm -hmm. You know whether he you know goes out to Low A or even Tri Cities and shows, hey, I can stick behind the plate and hit. That's the thing with these Potters prospects. And for those of you who get the handbook, you'll see you'll see a lot of high numbers in terms of ceilings, but you also see a lot of risks that are you know extreme. Oh, it's very high. So it is so much of it. Even after a year of development, is still especially once you get past like number nine on the list. A good chunk of it is still way and lower. And that's my point. Is my point is is that those guys, some of them are going to fail, but some of those guys are going to be a year from now, 
when you have guys who've had a full season, uh, a, a full season, a full season ball under their belt. Like if you compare again, they're not all going to be, be Fernando Tatis Jr. by any stretch, but Fernando Tatis Jr. The tools last year, at this time, were similar to what the tools are now, but there's a vast difference between saying this guy's got all kind of tools and he has basically no resume yet, right. compared to. A year later saying... Turn to baseball skills, handle the grind of a full season, perform against older competition. Right. All those things make a huge difference. Right. Michelle Baez, you know, there's... Again, there's all these guys who took... They had multiple guys who took a big step forward in 2017. Even Gabriel Arias. Gabriel. But some of these guys are going to take a step forward in 2018. And by process of the numbers of guys they have... They should have some, you know, they have a better shot of having some guys really emerge in 2018 at another level than they were now. Because, again, it's almost like buying, you know, I'm not recommending go to the lottery, but they have more lottery tickets than most teams. Because, again, they spent so much money internationally. Some of these guys are never going to, you know, they're at their peak prospect status right now. But some of them are going to be elite prospects at this time next year or the year after that. And right now they're not. That's how I would put it. But uh, gonna wrap this up because uh, you have a puppy that needs uh, to go out. Uh, but uh, but gonna wrap this up. Uh, just you know, had another question was asking, will Otani be listed as a pitcher or a hitter? And I think pitcher. that's a good way to end it, which is pitcher, primarily pitcher. But he is gonna hit. I don't think there's any question. The leverage that he has, and if you disagree with this, I'd love to hear it. The leverage he has that team that players normally don't have is he's not going out there to get the because he's looking for the highest dollar value he can get. Because if that was the case, if you say, well, you can make $3 million now, or you can wait two years and make, oh, let's say $200 million, which would be within the range of possible, you, you, you wait two years and you say, I'll take the $195 plus million more that I can make. This isn't a monetary-based decision. One thing about Otani, though, that has always been true, and again, I'm not saying because just having followed Shoei Otani's career going back to when he was coming into the draft, uh, the Japanese draft, or coming over to the States back uh, coming out of high school. One thing has always been true with him is he, he wants, wants to, to be both. a two-way player. And so the differentiator, and I don't think there is, I think every team in there at this point who's left is going to explain ways that he can hit. But if you said to Shoei Otani at this point, we'd love to have you, you're not going to pick up a bat. That's not going to fly there, but yes. I think it's pretty clear. He's going to be a pitcher who gets a chance to hit, not a hitter who gets a chance to pitch. Right. You're going to have to... His primary goal, his primary role will be, hey, be our number one, our number two, our number three to ease you in. And then on certain days around it, we'll figure out the ways to get you at bats. The creative part about that... Though, not, not be our starting outfielder, and then we'll work you into some, some innings when we can. But the creative part about that that I'll be interested to see is... There is some logic, and I could see a team using this as a differentiator, is proposing, we're going to have a six-man rotation. And the reason being, because that would be more similar to what Otani has done in Japan, which basically, if you're not, you know, if you don't follow Japanese baseball, the rotations are much more on a once-a-week type schedule. It's not perfect about that, but they usually have a kind of fixed off day. So... It's more of a you pitch, then you have your 
your off your days of rest on a six-man rotation would be more similar to Japan than they are the five-man. I, I find it hard to believe that a major league team will reconstruct their entire rotation schedule just to accommodate one player. I bet you I bet you you'll see a team do it. I think I'm, I think I'm, the I'm Rangers skeptical. right now are operating under the approach that they will build out to a six-man rotation, and the thing about that is is that again when you're talking about you know if you did that thing that that would also do is if it's if you're trying to get Otani to come over and play for you and he's saying how am I going to hit if you're on a six-man rotation there's more opportunities for him to hit than you are if you're on a five it'll be interesting I, think I mean that, it could that, be wrong that, that, but there's that's, all these uh considered possibilities out there and I'm sure we'll, we'll get some answers here in the next uh, couple of weeks yeah so we thank you for all the questions we thank you for tuning in we do want to thank you again uh, to S Preston Designs we want to remind you that don't forget to enter your chance to win a stadium poster of your favorite team from S. Preston Designs. Again, enter to win at baseballamerica.com slash stadium contest. Thank you to our followers for tuning in today. And we will, we're rolling out the top 10 prospect podcast uh, all week. So be checking your uh, podcast feed for that as well. We'll be rolling that out again next week as we're at the winter meetings. And we'll probably be doing some Facebook lives from the winter meetings, maybe some periscopes. We're going to go crazy at the winter meetings because that's what we do. So for Kyle Glazer, I'm JJ Cooper. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you soon.